the holy name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. We are at war. Everyone thinks that they want to hear about this war, spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is one of those topics that people will kind of perk up when they hear it. I hope it worked. Um, cool pastors like to talk about this sort of thing. Um, I mean, like, every church is going to talk about spiritual warfare. It's kind of a universal thing. Uh, you know, at the cool churches, I doubt that they're uh, ever having sermons extolling the virtues of holy baptism or the wonders that Christ gives in the Holy Eucharist, things like that. But spiritual warfare, though, that is like the crowd pleaser. Um, so... Why is that so attractive to us? What makes spiritual warfare such a kind of mystical, mysterious thing? I think that it's because the darkness has a pull that the light does not seem to have. The cross is repulsive to us. But the demonic forces have this vacuum-like pull and it is intense, and I have felt that it is growing, and this darkness is very difficult, nearly impossible to resist. And I continue to see our young people pulled into this darkness, and I don't know what to do about it. I continue to see our elders frightened by the church, growing cold towards it. People who have been here for decades all of a sudden now stay away for their good. I see people in my own generation deciding that there are more important things than raising their children in the fear of the Lord. And this is all demonic activity. This is war. And like it or not, you are in it. The great dragon has waged war against our Lord God Almighty and against you. Gird your loins. For you are marked in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you are a target. Remember that Jesus' great temptation began immediately after his baptism. And so it goes for you. So rejoice when you are counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Satan has it out for you. For you are tattooed with the Lord's name. But carrying this flag into battle, you are not alone. You have other soldiers who are fighting with you, who are marked with the same badge of the Lord's name. And you can see the baptized rallying behind Jesus Christ, who has already engaged the enemy and absolutely triumphed. So my middle school theology class at Anchor Lutheran School this week, uh, we were talking about demons uh, not because I'm trying to like satisfy a curiosity, but uh, we are we're we're just reading through the Gospel of Luke this year, 
And if you do this, you'll notice that there is quite a lot of demonic activity in the Gospels. It's all over the place. And everyone wants to know about the demons. Tell me more about the demons. And there's always a new demon movie coming out. And it will always do well. I'm interested in them. I'm like, yeah, I want to go see that. But I'm a little too scared. And so maybe I don't want to go see it in the theater or something like that. Why is this so attractive? The darkness has this way of pulling us in and seducing us. And, and it is so sneaky. It's very real. And so all the students want to know. They have so many questions about these things. They want to know about how many demons I've encountered and whether or not I've conducted an exorcism or not. That's the sort of questions they have. And these things are real. And demonic possession can actually happen. And it really can look like it does in the movies. But more often than not, it's much more mundane than that. It's not always that exciting, and it wouldn't sell very many tickets. More likely than not, demonic activity looks like apathy towards the things of God rather than open hostility. Where the father of lies has convinced us that the gifts of Jesus Christ, who is raised from the dead, seated at the right hand of the Father, which means he's seated in all power over all things, Father Lies has convinced us that these gifts are not really that important. The demons have convinced us that they're much more interesting than the angels. And the lies of the devil seem so much more powerful than the truth which comes from the mouth of the Lord, the very word of the Lord which created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. And we believe these lies. So what do we do about it? While Jesus was back in Cana, the same place where he had made the water wine, that first great miracle of his. And I can never really grow tired of thinking about that first miracle of his. All the other ones are, I mean, they're kind of cool. People being uh, healed and demons being cast out. And they're, I mean, again, they're great. All the miracles are awesome. Uh, I can't really do anything like that. This is amazing. But, but the fact that the Lord's first miracle, his first sign is uh, Jesus covering for our poor planning so that a party could go on. But that's just, that's just stupendous. There's, there's nothing better than that. That's the first thing that the Lord Jesus Christ wants to do when he begins to reveal uh, who he is. Like, huh. That's your God. Very interesting. He's not out to ruin your fun. Not at all. But there he is, he's in Cana again, and there's a sick child who's about to die at the point of death. 
and his father doesn't know what to do. So he goes to Jesus. How often do you worry? How often do you toil away over this or that problem? Whatever it is in the face of sin and death, how often do you not go to Jesus? Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Sometimes I don't really like that hymn because it seems like it's just kind of guilting you into uh, about having not said your prayers. But it's true. Do we not know how to push back the darkness? Do we not know where to go when we are in the valley of the shadow of death? Do we think the shepherd really has just forgotten us and he's going to leave us there? Or do we want to make our home there? The Lord beckons us to pray. He urges us to pray. But am I sure that he's listening? Or if he is listening, does he care? Again, these are lies. And this is what demonic activity looks like. You may not be frothing at the mouth or thrown to the ground and things like that, but that is demonic activity and the work of Satan. We pray for people who are sick all the time. Do we pray for other things? Do we pray for the lost to come back? This is what faith is. The father doesn't know what to do. And he goes to Jesus. And he doesn't know everything. He doesn't have it all figured out. He knows some things about Jesus, and that's enough. He knows to go to Jesus. He doesn't understand how this works or much about it. And yet, he goes to Jesus. So don't be surprised when some sort of fiery trial comes upon you. And don't be surprised when Jesus actually hears you and delivers you. And don't be surprised when it turns out that your sins are not on you, but they've been put on Jesus, nailed to the cross. Don't be surprised when your sins turn out to have been forgiven. And don't be surprised when you die and are raised from your grave. So this is war. St. Paul's very deliberate in telling us about this. You've been given armor, the armor of God. Do you use it? Or do you lay it aside because you think that it hinders your freedom? 
The Lord gives us life, and what would we like? Well, we'll do our own thing. Wow, the Lord's given me this wonderful helmet that will shield me from all sorts of attackers, but it kind of blocks my vision a little bit. There are some things that I shouldn't be looking at, but uh, yet I'm going to do that because I think that's more fun. Set this aside. Yeah, you got to carry the shield around. But it shields you from the flaming darts of Satan. Oh, I'd like that. We've been watching a fair amount of Marvel movies in our household lately. Mostly because there's like a billion of them. Uh, or like, can you imagine Captain America being like, yeah, I don't really want the shield anymore. It's too heavy. Like, no. Not at all. Now, I don't think that like each part of the armor of God, as Paul describes it, is like necessarily linked with uh, the corresponding parts of the faith. It's, it's, it's all the same thing. It's all the Lord's gifts. Would you discard that? Would you take that off and throw it away? What happens all the time? People submit themselves to demons, give themselves over to the power of darkness and evil. But you did not make this armor. It wasn't your idea. You did not come up with this. It is not your invention at all. You did not carefully craft and fashion this armor. You didn't make sure that it fit just right for you. You didn't even put it on yourself. It was put upon you. For all the knights have armor bearers who prepare them for battle. And so the Lord through the church has clothed you with armor. He's placed a sword in your hand. The word of God. You have been clothed from head to foot in holy baptism with a helmet and all the way down to your shoes with a belt and a breastplate even. For what? Well, this is war. And no war is easily fought. And the demons are strong. They are. But our Lord is stronger. And this war has already been won. For the devil kept on Jesus all the way to the cross, thinking that he had won, that he beat him. But there, life and light rose from the dead, from the grave. And so now we simply announce and proclaim that this war has been won by Jesus Christ our Lord. And this victory is eternal. Death is defeated. Sin is forgiven. Satan is overthrown. And the demons are done. Take that with you. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. For he's mighty. He knows what to do. Go to Jesus. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen.